Hello and welcome to the Keep Moving Podcast with MIT professor John Donovan. Over a 40-plus year career, Professor Donovan has impacted thousands of organizations and founded 27 companies, six of which went public. He is a sought-after entrepreneur and business advisor throughout the world. We will dig into what makes businesses tick and how to make them more successful. Welcome. So today we're going to talk about this concept of lazy assets. Notice I articulated very carefully there. Uh, you've used that term quite a lot in, in over the years that I've known you. Can you. What is a lazy asset? There are seven things that I look for. Okay, This is one of seven. Right. So there's more coming up. Now, the concept of a lazy asset is within an organization, are there assets that it has? Data? Processes? No, no. People? Hold on a second. What's data? Data is... How do you spell that? D-A-T-A. Oh, I thought it was D-A-T-E-R. We have a little bit of problem with the rest of the country. God had said that the program should land in Boston. He said this is the way we should talk. We're mathematically correct. Every time we take a word like data, which I need an R on the end of it, I take it out of another word like hoss. Hoss? Hoss. Giddy up, giddy up. Oh, horse. Okay. All right. I got it. I'll tell you where you're going to get into trouble, Paul. I came into Boston a little while ago with an executive. We got into a taxi. Taxi cab asked us where we want to go. The executive said we want to go to Kendall Square with all the eyes in it. The taxi driver drives out of Logan Airport, turns right, heading towards Revia. I knock on the glass and said, excuse me, we want to go to Kendall Square. He jams on the brakes, does a U-turn, said, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were from here. (laughs) He was going to take us on a long ride. Okay, so the concept of a lazy asset, and you mentioned about carefully pronouncing it, as an entrepreneur, find jewels. Find these assets that aren't being used and turn them into a business opportunity. Okay. That's the fundamental idea. Okay. Sounds like a good idea. So you, you look around, you do an inventory, or, or how, do you, how do you know that these assets are there? Well, it's interesting. A key thing, vehicle that I have usually with an organization or an individual, if I formalize it in a, we have the strategic discovery sessions that we run. But if I'm talking to a person on a one-to-one basis, as I'll ask the senior executive, what is your goal? Okay. I always start with that question. And it's amazing. Senior executives can immediately tell you what your goal is. It's a great way to start your conversation. Then, so he'll say his goal is, uh, uh, take an e-commerce company. He'll say, my goal is to increase my revenues, to get more customers, to get more stickiness. I then say, what, the next question is, what is critical to achieving your goal? He'll come back and say, a easy to use website. He'll say, acquiring other companies that already have used, he'll be able to articulate what his critical success factors are. I then look then for assets that he has in the company that might help him achieve his goal. And then I listen to him telling me all the assets in the company. I do this in a group. The key thing is to listen. Hmm. They'll end up, and if there's any talent I have is this, they'll tell me 10 ideas. Out of those 10, three will be great, three will be really dumb, and four 
will be mezza mezza. That's an Irish technical term from East Boston. <laughs> okay. The trick to do is to find the three assets that they're not using that can lead to a tremendous business advantage. And there are many examples of this. I've never found a company or an organization that doesn't have lazy assets that they're not using that can greatly accelerate their achievements of their goals. Well, can you tell me the, the, the details about the lazy assets with the trains? With the tra- trains, the, the locomotives. Oh, yes, that was, that's a good example. Uh, the president of the General Motors Locomotive Division came to me and said, we have a problem. Many times I get people that are comatose when they come to me. Uh, so when was this about? Th- this was about uh, six years ago. Okay. Six years ago. And I'll give you some examples of yesterday, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came to me and said, the problem that I have is that we're not making any money for the last 10 years. We have 50% market share at General Motors. GE has 50% market share. We're not going to get more market share. We're locked. So this I, is for locomotives? This is just for locomotives. I'm okay. taking their locomotive division. But that's important to General Motors. If you look at General Motors stock, they have a picture of a locomotive on the stock certificate. Interesting. So that was a historical important part of General Motors. Okay, so, so he's you got a CEO who comes to you and says, I need more revenue or uh, what do I, I need? I need... I need help. I'm not profitable, number one. Okay. Number two is the company is thinking about spinning me off. So my goal is to somehow increase my profitability and somehow make myself look more valuable on a sale. Okay, so how do you make a locomotive company in an entrenched industry with a, with a formidable competitor, GE and GM going head to head in that area? It doesn't sound like you're going to beat them. Well, I do two things. One is I look for what I call operational ideas. Mm-hmm. None of those are going to be shocking to you. They're the ones that you use standard. Cut your costs a little bit. Well, how could we do that? Trains, for example, might be late. They might get delayed out there. So we introduced mobile devices so that the repair person could be on site, see there's an electrical problem, be able to order the part right there and get it right away. So that's optimizing their process. Optimizing their process. Okay. Now, that's not going to turn around and say, you know, nobody here is going to say, wow, that you deserve tenure for that one. Mm-hmm. Okay, But it's good to do those things. Now, then I go to what I call the upper right-hand corner of a model that would be discussed, the internal entrepreneur. And I'll ask you a question, in everybody that's listening. If we could turn around and get, let's say, $250 million to General Motors in a short period of time of essentially profit for a year, would that be significant? Yeah, absolutely. Let me tell you how we do it. We look for lazy assets. Okay. One trick on lazy assets to where to look is you look at the food chain of the industry that you're in. So you look at General Motors and you say, who do they sell their goods to? They sell them to TXX or Amtrak, their Mm -hmm. trains to. And then what does Amtrak do? They rent them or carry grain, tomatoes, fruit and such to major fruit companies. Then you ask each member of the food chain what their goals are and what their critical success factors are. So let's take the one at the end there, the fruit company. What is your goal? He's going to say, my goal is to have profitability, 
And to do that, critical is I need the fruit to arrive fresh. It has to be here on time. Mm-hmm. I have to have the grain arrive when it's supposed to arrive for my my customers. Uh, sir, what would happen if they're late? I lose a great deal of money. How about if we could give you this? I'm talking to the president of the grain company. How about if we could give you an insurance policy that was the least expensive that could possibly be that would mitigate any late trains and loss of produce and loss of your money because they were late. If I could give you that, would you be interested in that? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Why, why That's an insu- new insurance business. Okay. Well, if you're going to have an insurance business, you need two things. One is you need good actuary tables, mm-hmm. so to speak. How often a tape trains late? And then secondly, you need a back end that's going to turn around and invest your money, that is the premiums and such, wisely. Now let's go back to General Motors. Who has the data that knows when the trains are going to be late? General Motors. Okay. They've got historical data on all the trains and repair work and when they're late and when they're on time. So I could take that data, come up with actuary tables, then team them up with another insurance company like Agon, put that together, and now I have an insurance company that has very accurate data. They can predict very well what those premiums should be and a new business. So he formed an insurance company. Well, after a year, General Motors sold that insurance company for $250 million. Wow. Using a lazy asset that they already had. Mm -hmm. Now, that's historical in some sense. Six years in my life is not too historical. In most young people's lives, it's more historical than that. But I see that even today. Uh, where I can give examples of lazy assets today. Is this a secret talent you have? Is that your superhero power or is it one of them? Or no. can you teach that? I, I, we can teach it. You have to be an entrepreneur. So you have to have the courage of an entrepreneur. You've got to be opportunistic. Okay. You've got to be optimistic. Okay. You've got to be prepared to do the following, is to eat your own lunch. You can mm-hmm. end up competing with yourself and that's good. Mm-hmm. You have to have the chutzpah to turn around and try something and worry about failure. Let's take Air Lequis. Air Lequis is a French company. They build, they sell gases. They sell nitrogen and oxygen and all of those types of gases. Their business was, first of all, the gases are free. They're in the air so that they do them. And the competition was coming in. What is a lazy asset? They have lots of customers. They have all the hospitals as customers. They understand that market. They have a manufacturing capability for manufacturing these gases. How about doing the following? Eat your own lunch. Instead of selling the gases to the hospital, how about selling equipment for them to make the gases themselves in the hospital? And you get your revenues for service, parts, and maintenance off of that equipment. Now, you're going to wipe out your own business, Mm -hmm. but that's okay. Well, it's scary. That's scary. And what I'm going to say is if you don't eat your own lunch – your competitors will. Okay. So you so got to eat your own lunch first. And that worked. Okay. And they've moved into that area and they've been extremely successful. Now, those are big companies. You could take very tiny companies and do the same sort of thing. Like uh, JEA, Jacksonville Electrical Authority. They sell electric to the Jacksonville, Florida community. Mm-hmm. They're about a... They give every year about $200 million. They're a not-for-profit company. Mm-hmm. They give $200 million back to the community. Okay. That's a nice thing. The community had a shortfall of about $20 million. 
They had to make up $20 million. They also have a water company, so they combine. Well, they came to me and they looked for lazy assets. Now, when I tell you how you can get $20 million without raising the rates, because they're regulated and everything mm-hmm. else, raising the rates of electricity, getting the the ire of all of their clients. Sure. Yeah, everybody would say. You don't want to do that. Right, it's like another tax. So where do you find $20 million? You got a fixed number of customers. You're in the electric business. We look for lazy assets. What's a lazy asset? They're data again. What's an example? I'm going to ask you, Paul. If you had a mother up here in Boston where it's nice and cool, <laughs> you had a mother that was at a home in Jacksonville, Florida mm-hmm. for the winter, would you like to know if there was ever a power outage Absolutely. in your yeah. home? Yeah. Would you be willing to pay a small subscription fee for getting that information so you could call her and give her some comfort? Yeah, in a second, yeah. How about we form a, a subsidiary that offers that subscription fee for a subscription fee? We'll notify you by email if there's a power outage. And we'll notify you when it's been fixed. So you can follow what's going on. And we'd like to charge $20 a month or some mm-hmm. number. Right. Who has that data? Who knows when the power outage is? Right. JEA knows. They've got all the data. They just have to add a little tiny, if you wish, program on top of that data to notify you if the power outage goes. That gave them $10 million a year. Wow. Then on the water side, you're sitting in front of you. You've got a bottle of water. If you notice this bottle of water, that probably cost you a dollar and a half or mm-hmm. so. Yeah, water. Water. Yep. Okay. If you look at it, I defy you to look at it. Where does it say what's in that water? water. Where is it certified? Right. You have no idea whether this is good water or bad water. Yeah, that's a good point. Jacksonville Water sells water, municipal water, for a penny a gallon or something like that. But yet they're regulated. It has to be pure. It has to be made sure that there's no biological problems with mm-hmm. it. It's better and it's cheaper. How about Jacksonville Water offering a Jacksonville bottle water alternative, much less expensive and guaranteed to be safe? And it helps the local community. And it, exactly. It helps the community. Right. So we could take that and they got 10 million. They did that. They got $10 million wow. out of that. They took a lazy asset, namely their water, mm-hmm. and just bottled it and charged more per gallon than they're sure. charging it to water people's lawns. So those are examples of lazy assets that we see all, all the time. Okay. So now, how do you get to the people to talk to them about these lazy assets? I mean, you said they come to you. How did this actually occur? Why do they come to you? Okay. What happens is historical. I'll give you historical and then I'll tell you what we want to do in the future. Uh The way this all happened is AT&T wanted to get into the computer industry. They looked around to try and find somebody that could help them train their people in computers. My book, Systems Programming, in the 1980s was used in AT&T. Okay. So the training people called me up and said, would you construct a series of programs to train our technical people in what you're teaching in your books, but make it more compressed because we can't send them to MIT. I'd like to have 
a series of four two-week courses that could be equivalent to a computer science degree. Mm-hmm. And I said, I said, okay, let's do that. So we did that. What happened then is I was very successful with that. We we got financially it was profitable. Uh, the, the people worked very hard. They learned how to program. They learned all of that. Then AT and T decided to get out of the computer business. I had a ten million dollar plus year contract, and I was only doing that training. I see. They cancel the contract. What do you do? My only customer said goodbye. This is a big disruption. Yeah, I've heard um, you know the entrepreneur or person who's in business for themselves. Every Monday, mo- Monday morning, they wake up and they're unemployed. Yeah, because if they don't get up and do anything, nothing happens. They, and I've seen that in our interactions that we've come up against something that's impossible. That's where I think you test the metal of an entrepreneur. There is a Chinese character that's the same character for crisis or opportunity. Was it a crisis that we just had? We turned it into an opportunity. Well, I guess that would point to how you react. How you react. So I gathered up all my people and I said, we have to change. Let's take what we've got, our lazy assets of great training, our location right on the MIT campus, and let's move into executive training. So I went back to AT&T and I said, gee, you'd like to train your customers or introduce your customers to your communication side. Now, I had a little bit of a rapport with them by then so that I got to know the chairman, Charlie Brown of AT&T. So he wrote a contract for me to do executive training. We then ended up, because I was doing it for AT&T, NCR was a competitor. They wanted to do executive training. And then HP wanted to do executive training. So these other CEOs gathered around and asked me to do executive training. This is a dramatic moment the first day I did this. So I just sheepishly put my head down, put my head down, and I said, all right, you out there, give me a problem that you've been looking at for at least five years, and you've spent over $5 million on it, and we will solve it overnight, develop a pilot and a business case and present it tomorrow morning. Are there any volunteers? Half the class raises their hands. Dramatic. These customers give us their toughest problems. I then go and look for lazy assets. I ended up teaching 35,000 executives in these classes. Those people are all out there that say, oh, if you're in trouble, call Donovan. Right. So, for example, one uh, one organization was the United States Navy. Admiral Shuford was in there, one-star admiral, raises his hand and says, I have a problem. Over 50% of the people in the Navy do not re-enlist. Huh. We're not managing their expectations in their career as well. I said, okay, so what do we do? We went to the Boston Navy Yard, this group of young people. We asked, Sam, why didn't you re-enlist? He said, well, last week they came to me and said, do you want to volunteer for Afghanistan? Do you want to volunteer for going there? And then they asked my other person, do you want to volunteer? Finally, nobody volunteered. They said, you've just volunteered. You're going to Afghanistan. I said, I'm out of here. That's the last time they're going to do this to me. We said, all right, let's take advantage of your lazy asset. You have all this data. You have all these processes and everything in place in in training mechanisms such. How about posting on a website the possibility of people bidding on the opportunity to go to Afghanistan? They can bid $200 extra a month, $300 extra a month. Then 
we then take that data, take their training, the necessary training and such, and we say, you just won the opportunity hmm. for going to Afghanistan. Wow. Dramatically changed their retention rates. That branched out to a system that is now being used by the 400 salespeople, 400 sailors in the United States Navy, of a total holistic HR capability, by which they call it a five-vector model. One vector has on it your training, another one your leadership capability, another one is your position, and it then says where you are, and then you click where you want to be, and then it tells you all the training that you need for that. Oh, well, how to get there. How to get there. I see. Now, one of the reasons why we're doing this broadcast is that I would like to have other people see how we find lazy assets, how we turn around and create an entrepreneur within a company. What's the process for doing that? It is a process that can be learned in boom. Thanks for listening to Keep Moving. To get in-depth show notes or to contact Professor Donovan, please visit ProfessorDonovan.com. You can find us on Twitter at ProfDonovanMIT and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash ProfDonovanMIT. For a downloadable copy of The Donovan Model, visit ProfessorDonovan.com slash model. Be sure to join us again for our next episode.